Hi there and welcome to another Osler podcast. My name is Todd Fraser. The ultimate outcome for patients who are resuscitated from cardiac arrest depends heavily on the neurological damage that results from the low flow state. Prevention of further damage during this phase is one of the core goals of post-resuscitation care. In recent years, a multitude of research papers have been produced which examine various aspects of this approach, including oxygenation and blood pressure targets. One alternative strategy may be to increase cerebral blood flow by allowing mild therapeutic hypercapnia, an approach studied in the recently released TAME trial. Principal investigator of the study, Glenn Eastwood, joins me on the podcast to discuss the key features and results of this important trial. Glenn, welcome to the podcast. Delighted to be able to speak to you today, Todd. Thank you. Glenn, I've had the opportunity to interview you several times over the journey, and it's always a pleasure. It's great to see this trial finally come to fruition. Let's begin with the basic background and physiological mechanism that you've explored in the TAME trial. Yeah, the TAME journey has been going for a number of years, and thank you for your interest. Uh, the physiological mechanism behind TAME was the uh, our desire to understand the potential therapeutic impact of targeting mild hypercapnia, knowing that at hypercapnic states, the cerebral blood vessels dilate, increase blood flow to the brain, and by hoping to harness that effect, we would improve blood flow and brain, uh, the brain environment after cardiac arrest. What was the early inspiration behind this trial, Glenn? Yeah, way back at the start in 2013, we published our large observational cohort study where we looked at the association between arterial carbon dioxide tensions and outcome for patients admitted to intensive care unit. And using a repository of over 16,000 patients taken from the Australian and New Zealand adult patient database, we identified that hyper, hypo, and normocapnia were common in patients admitted to intensive care in the first 24 hours. But importantly, for those who were exposed to hypercapnic values, there was a trend towards uh, discharge home compared to hypocapnia. And that allowed us then to establish and design and conduct the pilot trial. So we, we took this from an, an idea, observational study, into a pilot safety feasibility study. What about early clinical trials, Glenn? Is there anything in the published literature to this point? Yes, there were. We were not the only ones who had started to look at this, particularly from the Scandinavian and Norwegian environment. They too were looking at oxygen and carbon dioxide and outcomes. So our work, collectively with their work, um, pushed towards potentially seeing a benefit of managing arterial carbon dioxide in patients after cardiac arrest. So following all this extensive background research work, TAME has come into existence. Can you tell us about the uh, hypothesis being tested and the patient group that's involved? TAME was an out-of-hospital cardiac arrest trial, and it enrolled adult patients. In particular, those patients needed to have a out-of-hospital cardiac arrest of a presumed cardiac or unknown cause, achieved return of spontaneous circulation that lasted greater than 20 minutes. At the time of arrival and assessment for eligibility, they were unconscious, but eligible for intensive care admission. 
And all this was to occur within 180 minutes of the eligible ROSC being achieved. So really, we were trying to identify quite a narrow population, but one in which was full care was being delivered in the ICU. So that was our criteria. So the intervention being tested here was mild hypercapnia versus normocapnia. Can you tell us how that was achieved? Yeah, the mild hypercapnic range was just above uh, the normocapnic range. So mild hypercapnia was an arterial carbon dioxide level of 50 to 55 millimetres of mercury. And the normocapnic range was 35 to 45 millimetres of mercury. Um, we asked clinicians to target either of these two ranges from the time of uh, enrolment for 24 hours whilst the patient was receiving mechanical ventilation. Um, we particularly asked for protocolized arterial blood gases to be performed every four hours and that patients be sedated deeply enough that control over ventilation could occur. Glenn, what was the primary outcome of the study? The outcome for the team was the, a favorable neurological outcome defined as a score of five or more on the eight-point Glasgow Outcome Scale Extended Assessment Tool. And this was to be performed by a blinded assessor, so blinded to the intervention allocation, at six months. Glenn, can you take us through the Extended Glasgow Outcome Score for those listeners who aren't familiar with it? Yes, I'm happy to. Um, as I said, it was an eight-point scale. So eight is upper good recovery, then lower good recovery, up moderate, and lower moderate disability. Those four groupings are the favorable neurological outcome. And then we go down to uh, uh, item four, or score of four, being upper severe disability, three, lower severe disability, two, a vegetative state, and one being death. So a score of one to four is unfavorable, and a score of five to eight was favorable. Now, Glenn, the TAME trial results have only just been released. That must have been a bit of a whirlwind for you. Can you share with us what the key results were? So the results for TAME were really exciting uh, in the sense that from a period of a little over three and a half years, we were able to recruit the 1,700 patients sample size that we targeted. And we did this from engaging with 63 sites in 17 countries. What we found was that in patients with coma after resuscitated cardiac arrest, targeted mild hypercapnia did not lead to better neurological outcomes at six months compared to targeted normocapnia. Glenn, were you confident that you achieved separation between the two groups? Uh, we were confident and we're actually really delighted with the implementation of the targeting of the two groups. What we found was that on arrival to hospital and at uh, randomization, patients in both groups were hypercapnic, and that we saw after enrollment, early and sustained separation in its arterial carbon dioxide management between the two groups, so much so that patients in normocapnic arm were largely uh, in the normocapnic range, and patients who were allocated to the mild hypercapnic arm uh, were in the hypercapnic range. Glenn, some commentators have noted that there was a little bit of loss to follow up. What's your perspective on this? Uh, so a, a tremendous effort was undertaken by all sites and all outcome assessors to achieve as great a number of patients to provide data for the full GOES assessment and also the dichotomized GOES assessment. So if a patient 
couldn't be uh, found in one sense or contacted to complete the entire questionnaire. We used all available means, um, be it medical records or notes, to then dichotomize them. So, and that only happened in uh, relatively few portions of patients. So we had a less than five percent loss to follow up for a, a dichotomized ghost, and that our full ghost was quite similar between the two groups. So whilst you might see it as uh, being a little bit negative, um, all stops were pulled out to uh, find that assessment for those patients at six months, and we are confident with what uh, what we found. Glenn, one important point I think in this is that it took a, a mean of two and a half hours before the intervention was initiated. Do you think this could have had any impact on the outcome of the trial? Yeah, we cannot uh, discount that the potential therapeutic effect of mild hypercapnia was already played out before the patients arrived to hospital and that anything that we did to maintain it or sustain it after enrolment, uh, we couldn't see a difference because that had occurred. But gee, enrolling patients as quickly as we did uh, is remarkable and also consistent with other out-of-hospital cardiac arrest trials, such as the box oxygen study, um, that was recently published uh, in the New England Journal of Medicine as well. So, gee, it's wish we could do it earlier, maybe do it a little bit differently, but um, I'm really confident that what was delivered was as best as we could do with the given uh, the infrastructure at the time across the sites. Glenn, one of the strengths of this study is that the manuscript development was blinded. Can you tell us about this and what the benefits might be? A blinded manuscript uh, allows for the author to be uh, neutral as they write the abstract, uh, the methods, obviously, write themselves, but importantly, when you're writing your discussion. And I would strongly recommend the writing of a blinded manuscript, at least in the, in the, um, at least in the ab abstract phase, but um, we undertook that across the entire manuscript. And I believe that really did help uh, to provide a neutral manuscript that once the data was known, um, you could simply enter the data and be be confident with your message being as clear um, to your protocol and your published statistical analysis plan. So, Glenn, where do you think this leaves us now? Is this the final word on hypercapnia in cardiac arrest? Oh, not the final word. The brain is still affected uh, and suffers severely after out-of-hospital cardiac arrest. But what TAIN does is it provides evidence to support current practice that was previously non-existent. And whilst our hypothesis didn't play out in the sense of providing a benefit to a favourable neurological outcome, it does allow clinicians that level of evidence that they didn't have prior to the study. And that's really, really important. Um, it shows the, uh, the benefit of conducting programs of research that whilst it's important to follow those initial research questions, you really do need to do large definitive phase three trials to detect the true uh, results. As for future interventions, ideally TAME now sits within the other physiological management of patients in the intensive care unit so that we can know what's the right target for carbon dioxide, what's the right target for oxygen, what's the right target for blood pressure, what's the right target for sedation and so forth. So that by the time the patients get to the intensive care unit, we're doing all that we can to protect the brain. 
Glenn, why do you think that the results of TAME differ so significantly from the background data? Now that you've got the opportunity to look at the, the information through the retrospectoscope, what do you make of it? The, the easy argument would be to put forward that we made a type 1 error and that uh, what we saw in the pilot studies just didn't play out in the larger trial. And whilst that is likely to have occurred here, practice also changes. Uh, the initial work done in 2013 was robust for its time. Our pilot study published in 2016 uh, was, was sound, which showed a safety, a biological effect, um, efficacy, and a trend toward favourable outcomes, so that's all fine. But again, we now designed and delivered this trial um, through 2018, 19, 20, 21. So practice does change. So it's a combination of potentially a type 1 error coupled with um, practice changing. And I don't think practice changing is necessarily that negative. It's just we're trying to keep up with evidence as it's evolving. And now the teams come along, that can now influence future trials. I'm speaking with Glenn Eastwood, the Principal Investigator of the TAME Trial. If you're listening to this podcast, you're likely to also be interested in our great new Advanced Life Support Collection, which features modules on rhythm analysis, protocols, reversible causes, and of course, post-resuscitation care. Like all our content, it's completely free to all users. Glenn, this has obviously been a large part of your life for a prolonged period of time. Tell us about the emotion, the, the feeling that you had when you first found out the results of the trial. Oh, so I think I've been really personally involved in a sense and emotionally involved in this trial, probably wedded to it in, in one regard. And it's been a, a, a journey I've really enjoyed, but it's, it's, it's a combat sport emotional uh, research is people forget it you know it's visceral at times and uh, getting towards the end and finding the results and then delivering the paper and writing the presentation uh, it really shows how deeply investigators get uh, involved in their trials um that the, that the finding came out that it was of no benefit but supports care provides reassurance to me that yes we now know something that we didn't and that's super important and we know with greater certainty, and that's super important, because importantly, from my perspective, to provide clinicians with evidence that when they're engaging with families and providing prognostication, particularly in this group, you need to have strong evidence. And in one sense, TAMES delivered that. Sure, it would have been lovely if it showed uh, that it improved outcomes. I, I'm not going <laughs> to say that I didn't wish that that, that was the case. but it wasn't, but we delivered a trial with high fidelity, uh, and that's super important. Now, Glenn, obviously you're the tip of the spear as the principal investigator, but there must be a lot of people involved uh, who you'd like to acknowledge. So definitely. Um, not only do I thank the members of the TAME steering committee, uh, the site investigators, patients, families, the numerous people that provide ethical and governance oversight for the trial, I'd like to thank the three funding bodies, which was the Australian National Health and Medical Research Council. Um, I'd also like to thank and acknowledge the Irish Health Research Board and the New Zealand Health Research Council uh, for providing funding to the trial. Um, TAME wasn't conducted in isolation. We had um, methodological centre support from the Australian New Zealand Intensive Care Research Centre of Monash University. 
the Medical Research Institute of New Zealand, and we also had methodological support from the Irish Critical Care Clinical Trials Network. Um, and then on top of that, TAME was endorsed by the ANZICS Clinical Trials Group, the Intensive Care Society of Ireland, and the Australian Resuscitation Outcome Consortium. So whilst that is a mouthful, it does show the importance and the relevance to not only um, the Australian craft group, but internationally. And without the support of the funders, the method centres, the sites and the families, um, TAME wouldn't be the success that it actually is. So, Glenn, what's next for the TAME research team? Uh, so we're looking at a neuroprotective drug. Um, it's an apoptotic drug um, that's given in patients after stroke. And we feel that potentially that could be another intervention applied early to protect brain uh, tissue that's salvageable after cardiac arrest. Um, I'm partly associated with people in the resuscitation area of cardiac arrest. Obviously, I know the ICU environment very well. So it's about giving the drug early, monitoring it, but, um, oh, and this step care. So step care is a study that's getting conducted. That, that's going to be a wave. And then I can come underneath afterwards and say, hey, what about this? Um, so it's back to the drawing board in the sense of the research program. It begins again. Glenn, thanks very much for joining us on the podcast once again to share your insights on the TAME study. And congratulations once again. Thank you, Todd. Appreciate the time. Thanks for joining me on the podcast today. All of Osler's content and features are completely free. Get access to all our podcast interviews, as well as hundreds of modules, journal reviews, quizzes and articles by downloading our free app. You'll also be able to access our logbook and any Osler learning you do is automatically recorded in your CPD diary. Search for My Osler wherever you get your apps or visit our website at oslercommunity.com.